The irony of preparing to preach on solitude this week has not passed me by, though. I happen to be in one of those seasons of life which is particularly busy. I'm working, I have three children, three different schools, my email inbox has got a thousand unread messages in it. Um, There's plenty of things I haven't done this week and I'm spinning lots of plates. But whether we are in that kind of season and life is very full, or we're not, we're in a different season where life is very quiet, the discipline of spending time alone with the Lord in solitude actually remains a discipline for us. You see, I've had times in my life when I've been um, lonely, or had times in my life when actually there's, there has been space. But getting alone and being with God has been just as much of a discipline as in the seasons of life when I've been very busy. Why? Because we have to quieten the noise in our heads and around us in order to really be with God. In my times when I've been lonely, perhaps even a little bit depressed at times, I can have just as much noise going on in my head as in the times and seasons of life that have been full of friends and full of frenetic activity. And so what we're talking about today is a spiritual discipline of solitude which actually has very little to do whether we're busy or not, or how much time we have or not. It's a discipline of consciously and deliberately giving some time over to the Lord Jesus. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And for some of you, that might sound really exciting, and for others, that might sound really not very appealing and again that will depend on where we're at in our lives and where we're at with our walk with God but let's have a little look at what we what's going on I don't know about you but when we're going to focus on the Mark passage Mark chapter 1 verse 35 to 39 so you might want that out in front of you and um As you look through the chapter, the first chapter of Mark, Mark writes Jesus's life at a really fast pace. It's kind of one activity to another. Um, You get this sense as you read through the gospel that Jesus was pretty busy. He spent a huge amount of time with people. He never seems to pass up the opportunity to eat with someone. He travels, he teaches, he heals the sick, he has crowds that follow after him, and yet he practiced this discipline of solitude. His practice of solitude often came at a cost to him, and in our passage we read today that he got up very early, while it was still dark. He also took himself off to places that were not particularly wonderful to be in, like the desert. He hid himself away deliberately at times. And we get this sense that even though Jesus' life was really busy, he practiced solitude. 
and therefore he must have viewed it as necessary. Over the past few months, I've had a little bit of a chance to listen to different speakers at conferences and through the summer, just listening online. And I've been particularly interested in listening to people who are based in busy cities because I think they have a lot to say to us living in busy London. So I've been listening to preachers from New York or Melbourne or places that are busy and full of vibrant life. And in each occasion I've been listening to someone, there's been this sense of this pastor saying, I need on Sunday to try and help my people get some alone time with God. I need to try and help them create some sort of sense of solitude so they can actually directly meet with God themselves. And you see, the thing is, for us city folk is that solitude, that alone time, deliberately with God, is very hard to find. It's a huge effort for us because we're often very frenetic. As I sat on Wednesday night at midnight covering year seven textbooks in um, that sticky back plastic stuff, you know, it's just a total nightmare. I think I've got a degree in it now. It's like, you know, you've got to kind of put the book down. You've got to try and make sure there's no bubbles and your daughter's going to be stressed in the morning if it looks too rubbish. And so you're up, I was up late at night doing this and I was just aware as I was doing it, of not only of the busyness in my mind of all the activity, but actually also the physical noise of the city. There was still the odd plane, the odd motorbike, the odd noise, even at midnight. There's something about our environment of living in a city which makes solitude difficult. You see, there's many things that are wonderful and beautiful about the city. I actually think the Bible has a lot to say about the city. Actually, God has a special heart for the city. There's loads of so much fun about living in a place that's so vibrant, where there are so many people, so many ideas. There's plays to go and see. There's things to do. We can walk around and see people. There's stuff that's to be celebrated in that. But it means that if we are going to take some time to get alone with the Lord, we're going to have to be really deliberate about it and ferociously protect it. It's going to be a discipline for us. It's not just going to happen. And so it is that the Christian discipline of solitude exists. It's a discipline We need to be quiet from the external and internal noise to place ourselves before God. So what's this to look like? And we're going to look very um, quickly at the pattern of solitude that we see Jesus takes up. We're going to look a little bit at how he does solitude and how he knows that it's important. So... The pattern of solitude. What are we to do, Jesus? I don't think I can get up at four o'clock in the morning every day this week and spend an hour alone with you. I just don't think that's me, Lord Jesus. How is this going to work? How am I going to build in alone time with you that's given over to you? Well, in Jesus's life and ministry, we don't seem to see him setting a set time where he does this all the time. For some people, that can be really helpful to do that. But in Jesus' ministry and life, it seems a lot more fluid. 
In our passage, we see that he got up very early while it was dark and went off to a solitary place to be alone. Well, what's he been doing beforehand? Verses 33 to 34 tell us that before this moment, the night before, the whole town had gathered around him. He'd been ministering to many people. And I don't think it's an accident that Mark places this really busy time right next to then the next verses where it says he needed then to go and be alone. Jesus's pattern of solitude with God seems to be that it mirrored what other activity was going on. So he'd have a busy patch and then he'd go and be alone. Or sometimes he would be alone in preparation for a known busy patch to come. And so his ministry in life seems to be punctuated by time on our own. So uh, when we look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus begins his ministry with 40 days alone in the desert. 40 days alone in the desert before he starts on his big three-year project. He spends it alone, time alone in solitude with God before he chooses the 12 disciples, before he makes a really big decision. When he receives news of John the Baptist's death, he then goes away and spends some time alone. Why? Because he needs to process that before God. Before God to bring his tears, to bring his hurt, and to understand God's plan and purpose for him before he then goes out and ministers to others again. After successful ministry, like feeding the 5,000, straight away afterwards, we find that he withdraws again to be alone. Why? So that he is with the one who enables him to do that powerful ministry. So that he knows it's not not about him and what he does. After the healing of the leper, time alone. Before the transfiguration, time alone. Before the cross, time alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. So solitude for Jesus seems to come both before and after key times of activity. The solitude both prepares Jesus for the things he does, but it also helps him refresh after he's given out. There's this pattern of solitude that's built in to his life. Humanly speaking, we can be tempted to become addicted to activity, particularly successful activity. We see it in the workplace. You have one success in a project. You gain a contract. We go on to get the next one after that and then the next one after that. And we kind of almost get addicted to the adrenaline of frenetic activity. And what we see in Jesus is this space that he doesn't allow himself to get addicted to popularity from the crowds, addicted to activity in and of itself, but rather comes away to be with his Father God. And so whilst there's not a set pattern that we find in the Gospels that says every Christian must spend 10 minutes, 5 o'clock every morning, alone with the Lord, what we do pick up is this pattern this pattern of punctuating busy times and busy seasons with time alone from God, both that God might feed us for the busyness, but then refresh us from it too. 
It's interesting that um, there's a bit of a trend uh, on, on social media and things like that of, of um, I think it's particularly uh, countries like Finland or Den and Denmark, places like that, where they're, where they're actually getting their workforce to work less because they're saying that actually as they work less, the time that they do work is then way more productive. Well, the principles there in scripture, as Christians, we've known it all the time. We know that Sabbath is important. We know that rest is important. Yet what has happened in America and the UK is not too far behind, is that we've gone, no, no we'll just work all out. Wonder whether some of the creativity and productivity actually ultimately is going to come from those places where they honor the time of sabbath and rest so we see this pattern in jesus's life of, of solitude time alone with god to hear from god so why was it important if jesus punctuated his busy life with solitude it's because he knew it was necessary he the son of god knew he needed to spend time with father god we'll be no different. Jesus knew that in the solitude there was space for Father God to speak. Sometimes we'll spend time in solitude with God and he doesn't seem to speak much at all. It's only afterwards that we get to experience strength gained from having spent that time. So, the Garden of Gethsemane, when you read the accounts in Mark's Gospel in the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Father seems pretty silent in the accounts of Mark. We just hear Jesus crying out his anguish to God. Do I really have to do this? Do I really have to go to the cross? Could there not have been another way? Do I do? And he's sharing out his emotion and his pain. And actually God the Father, we don't seem to hear from much in this passage. Yet, when he gets up and leaves that garden... He is enabled to do the task before him. There's something, and we had that passage from Isaiah, that beautiful passage, those that wait or put their hope in, their, in the Lord, those that wait in the Lord, will renew their strength. It's my experience time and time again that when I've deliberately put a little bit of time aside for God, sometimes God speaks really powerfully in that time and sometimes he doesn't. But every single time, the weeks that follow that period of time in solitude, I have been strengthened in my walk with God. There's something about putting it into practice and all I can say is you've got to put it in practice to experience it. But putting it in practice is a discipline. Jesus also knew that his love for others grew in, um, in times of, of, of spaciousness with God because it's only as God fills us up with his love that we can in any way extend that out to others. How do you be gracious to that really annoying neighbour? You can't unless you've experienced grace from God upon you and then out of the knowledge and experience of that you can then love that other person not best buddies with them for sure there's some people out there you know but you can have grace and love and patience for them 
once you've experienced and seen the grace and love and patience that Heavenly Father God has over you and that you actually need that. And Jesus came both, yes, as God, but also as man. He came as a human. And so he experienced the same temptations and difficulties that we do. Thomas Merton once said, it's in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers and sisters for what they are, not for what they say and or do. This is true because in solitude we find that God fills us with his love and compassion and his spirit then affects our outward lives. So, how are we going to put this into practice, church? For those of you who have too much time on your own, there's still going to be this sense in which you need to give over a deliberate space to focus on God. And this might happen as you come to church. It might, um, in my house, I have a chair. I have one chair in the dining room, and when the dog is not on it... <laughs> I know that when I go and sit in that chair, even if it's for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, I try my very best to think upon God. Maybe to remember who he is. Think about the names of God. Maybe I'll read a little bit of scripture and then just wait very quietly in this one chair. And I know it's my chair where I do that. And I don't sit on that chair, actually, at any other time really simple things that we can do in our lives to build in habits of just little punctuated moments where we're going to say, I'm deliberately giving this moment to you, Lord. It might be before we go to bed at night. It might be in those few moments we have alone in the morning. It might be in all kinds of ways we can work it out. But whether we are busy or life is quiet, it nonetheless needs to be deliberate. It involves a sacrifice, therefore, because for Jesus, he got up very early when it was still dark. I don't know about you, I find that really painful to do. (laughs) Some of you are brilliant at it. I find it so painful to do. There's often a sacrifice, a cost to withdrawing. What am I missing out on? I might be missing out on the party that's happening. I want to be where the action is. There can be all kinds of emotions in withdrawing, but often it's a sacrifice to do it. It might involve sacrificing um, some late-night television to go to bread extra early. It might involve, I don't know, what does it involve for you? But it's a sacrifice to set aside deliberate time. When I do it, I always take a notepad book with a pen and paper because inevitably you sit down for quiet and then suddenly into your mind flood all the things that you should be doing. The person's birthday card that you've forgotten to post, that letter you never sent but intended to, that doctor's appointment you ought to have booked, that cleaning in that corner that looks really dirty over there that you can now see because you've sat still is there in front of you and everything crowds in. And so in the pen and paper, I just write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down. Then I know it's there. And then, Lord Jesus, I'm coming back to you. 
Jesus had to do it, had to get away on his own, somewhere else, somewhere different. I want to just finish by sharing with you the rich resources that we have right here at Christchurch that might help you with this practice of solitude. Jesus had to get away physically and go somewhere else. And for some of us, that's going to be the very best thing we can do. We're just, quite frankly, too distracted in our own space or our own home. And so I want to extend an invitation to you. We're hoping very, very shortly to have the prayer chapel at St Albans sorted with a keypad so that you have a code that you can type in, access a key, and go in and use that space 24-7. We're working on the final bits of health and safety because we need to um, ensure it's as safe as possible for us as a church community to use it. But we've deliberately done it because in a frenetic city, we're so aware of the valuableness of providing a space and place where people can come and spend five minutes, half an hour, whatever, just with the Lord. The other thing we're doing is that we are changing and shaping our midweek activity here at Christchurch so that it's going to be a little bit different. We've hit a season um, where there's a chance for a change of pace for for a time. If you've been into Christchurch in the week, you will know how crazy busy it is. It is full of toddler groups. We've had an amazing cafe that's happened. We've had all sorts of things going on that, quite frankly, it's not that peaceful. Um, Over the course this year, Jenny Eastwood discerned it was her season to stop. And over the summer, Swapner also discerned that it was right for her to, to step down. Interestingly, that left me with no time in which to advertise or fulfill the role that Swapner's been playing in cooking for our kitchen. And I've been praying about it quite a lot. And I've been thinking, Lord, I wonder if... Actually, that's your will for this season, that we cease some of the activity and create, again, more quiet space zones in the week. And so we're going to be opening the church in the lunchtime hours. And on Tuesday, there'll be a Bible study. On Wednesday, we're going to have a midweek communion. And on Friday, specifically, we're going to be running a few courses out the back. But we're going to keep this sanctuary space really still and really quiet. And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to tap into the fact that some of our workforce is increasingly getting flexible working at home times on a Friday. And we're wanting to say to you, this is here. If you want to come in for 10 minutes, you want to bring your sandwich into a different zone, a different space, and just be with God for a little bit. This place is here for you to use. And for some people here, that might be an incredibly helpful thing to do. I know not all of us have the chance to, um, to do that in the week. Our work means that, that we can't. Have you thought about the hungry nights? We, every half term, have a, a night of worship and prayer in St Albans. Now, the worship music is modern band-led music, which doesn't suit everybody. But what we're doing is, whilst that is happening, is we're also opening the prayer chapel, the silence, the quiet. Not total silence, because there'll still be a little bit of background singing you'll hear, but, but for stillness, 
away from the hubbub of noise. Have you got it in your diary? Are you going to come? Are you going to give half an hour to the Lord? You can wander in and out of these sessions. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. But it's going to take as much discipline as it takes to go to the gym, to go for that run in the morning. And it's going to be something that we have to deliberately do to have solitude with the Lord. So as we look at these Christian disciplines, I just pray that the Lord will speak to us, uh, revive us and refresh us, that we will have a greater experience of him as we put them into practice. Amen.